Well, thank you, Joey, for leading us in worship today and the rest of our team. Well, as you know, our theme for 2023 is why does it matter? And each season of the year, we're exploring a, a different uh, aspect of that question. And so just so you know, we're going to turn a page, as I mentioned earlier today, on Wednesday. And we're going to begin the Easter season. And so our theme for Easter 2023 is your story, why does it matter? And we're going to read the Gospel of John together and make our way through that beautiful account of the life of Jesus. We're going to launch it Wednesday night. So we're going to bring our winter conversation to a conclusion today. And then at 6 o'clock Wednesday night, I want to invite you to our Ash Wednesday service. It'll be a time of prayer, reflection, and we're going to do something this year that we did last year for the very first time. There's going to be the imposition of ashes, if you would so desire. And you know the imposition of ashes, placing ashes on the forehead of someone, it's an ancient practice rooted in the Old Testament. Whenever the people of God on occasion came before the Lord in honesty, sometimes in a season of confession, of repentance, of acknowledgement, sometimes grief, they would express that by using ashes. And so we will continue that tradition Wednesday evening, and then we'll begin reading together through the Gospel of John. Your daily Bible readings will guide you there. On Sunday mornings, what we'll do is we will be focusing on some of the great conversations in John's Gospel. John offers us a little different perspective. Matthew, Mark, and Luke come at the story of Jesus from what scholars refer to as the same eye. In Greek, that's called synoptic, one eye. And so they're typically called the synoptic gospels. They primarily focus on the Galilean ministry of Jesus. John focuses more on the Judean ministry of Jesus. So he has a little different perspective. And what John offers us is these very lengthy conversations in his gospel that you don't really get in the other gospels. You get snippets. But John has some long conversations between Jesus and various people. So we're going to read through some of those great conversations. I'm going to invite you to enter them into those conversations and reflect on your story and why your story matters. And I look forward to just walking through this Easter season. Now, with that said, let's bring this conversation to a conclusion today. And our theme for the winter has been, why does anything matter? So if, if all that this world is, is a series of accidental incidents, well then that robs creation of its meaning. But if there's purpose behind it, well then there's meaning there. So here are, here's one of the threads that we're focusing on in 2023 as a church, and that is the thread of apologetics. Another thread is evangelism. We're going to talk about both of them all through the year. But apologetics, that is the discipline that enables us to represent our Christian beliefs in an articulate way that is both compelling and appealing. So that's what apologetics is all about, is to assist you in learning how to articulate what you believe 
and represent Christianity in a way that is both compelling and appealing. Now, here's what I would tell you. If you choose to enter into discourse on that level in this society, it's quite challenging because we are losing the art of discourse in our culture. We're good at yelling. We're not very good at listening. We're not really good anymore at discourse. And here's what I want us to reclaim. The ability to articulate what you believe while allowing others to have the same freedom to articulate what they believe. Without deriding them if what they believe is different than what you believe. That's what I'm after. Because we're not good at that right now. Because if we are in a conversation that has something very purposeful and meaningful as the substance of it, what typically happens is we end up yelling at each other and then you start calling the other person names, putting them in a category and discounting anything they might say. As a matter of fact, even inhibiting their ability to articulate what they believe even though you want to articulate what you believe. Does that make sense? So we're going to try to somehow find our way back to discourse where we can have conversation. And I'm not trying to limit you in what you believe. I'm not trying to inhibit anything you believe. And I'm not sitting in judgment over anything you or anybody. Y'all know when I say you, I'm talking to the generic you. Just by voicing my belief doesn't discount yours. It is mine and I have the right to share it. And I, will, I would love for you to have the right for you to share it. And without discounting each other. Now, so we're going to try to equip you all through the year. Let me tell you, there's multiple resources that I'll be sharing with you along the way. For example, just this past week, a new apologetic center has just opened. It's called the Keller Cultural Apologetic Center. It's named for um, uh, Tim Keller in honor of Tim. He's the pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in Manhattan. Back in 2012, Cindy and I were on sabbatical. We spent most of the summer in New York, and we, we studied with some of Tim's staff, looked at what their church was doing. I'm not a Calvinist. Okay, y'all know that. Tim is. I'm not. However, I do appreciate the perspective that Tim has and his forebears, or people who followed him, in trying to address the, the cultural challenges we're faking, facing. So, this Cultural Apologetic Center is providing resources for people like us to just explore what is Christianity? How do we express it? You don't have to agree with everything. But I believe it, it's one resource that will be helpful to you. Colin Hansen is leading it, and, and he's a very effective apologist. So with that said, let's finish up this conversation with this sermon this morning. I've entitled it, To Tell the Truth. The text is very familiar to you, John 14. So if you've got your copy of the New Testament, look at that with me. Uh, we always stand in honor of Jesus when the gospel's read. So if you're able, I invite you to stand, and let's hear this reading from the gospel. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. Thank you. you may be seated. So, we begin January 
of 2023 asking this question, why does anything matter? So let me remind you of our answer. Here's what we've studied over the last few weeks. Why does anything matter? Why is there, why is there purpose behind anything that we see? Like I said, if, this is, if all creation is, is a series of accidental incidents, well, that robs it of its meaning. But that's not what we believe. So let me just encapsulate what's happened over the last few weeks. Why do we believe anything matters? Well, because everything starts with God. As Christians, that's where our story begins, with God. He exists. And remember, we learned he exists independently of anything else. He exists throughout eternity. And God created everything. The reason there's meaning is because God has created, has his signature written across the canvas of the universe. Human beings are incredible creations of God himself. We're created in his image. We are destined for his glory. We're formed by his very hands, recipients of his unique breath of life in us. That means that we are souls. We're spiritual people. We can remain in Christ and abide in Christ. We talked about that last Sunday. Justice is possible in this world because of him. The reason we believe in justice is because God has woven that into the fabric of his creation. Now, we realize we fall short of justice this side of glory. One day, God will make everything right. That's the direction we're headed as his kingdom is established on earth. We've also learned that love exists and it can be experienced only because of him. The Bible tells us in 1 John, God is love. So the very fact that you and I can experience love is because of him. And then today's topic, there is real truth. I want us to talk about that. There is real truth. Um, even in this gospel, people debate truth. People struggle with truth. Pilate and Jesus have this conversation in John's gospel, you remember? And at one point, Pilate says, what is truth? What a profound question. He's not the only one who's asked that. What is truth? When I was a kid growing up, we had a TV show called To Tell the Truth and um, had these celebrity panel guests and people would come on and you had to decide who's actually telling the truth. Any of y'all remember that show? I think they have a modern variation of it now, but I remember Kitty Carlisle. She was on there, man, when I was a kid and just trying to figure out who's telling the truth. Well, here's what I want to say to y'all this morning. Regardless of what you believe, regardless of what you think, we all depend on the reality of real truth. We all do. Now, some people say, there's no such thing as absolute truth. And what's fascinating to me is, is that when people make that statement, the only thing that is absolutely true is that there is no absolute truth. So I usually ask them, how can you so boldly claim absolutely that there's no absolute truth? You're declaring an absolute truth. So obviously you believe in it. Y'all are with me, right? Y'all hear what I'm saying? Because here's what people say. Well, you know, you have your truth. I have my truth. No, that's not what I believe. I think we all depend on truth. Now, I will tell y'all that appearances can be dicey. You know, I, there are certain things that I like when it comes to entertainment. I'm not a big concert guy. Uh, Cindy can tell you that. I like music. You know, I do. But I'm, I, I, there are very few people I'm going to pay to listen to sing, okay? Elvis, he's no longer with us. Um, but I tell you what I will pay to see, and I would be happy to. I love 
ventriloquists. It's probably my favorite thing. <laughs> I love them. I just do. I, I, I can remember as a kid, I, 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 I could just imagine myself staring in the mirror. I practiced. And if it weren't for a couple of consonants in the English language, I would be one. <laughs> I would. I just can't get the P and the M. I just, I just never could accomplish that. Now, my little granddaughter, little Ada, who's sitting right here, she's actually pretty good at it. She's getting good. <laughs> and so... We just happened upon it one day at the table, didn't we, honey? And so guess what I did? Um, I, we were, Cindy and I were in New York, and Cindy had a board meeting there, and we're in this open market there, and I found a little, a little dummy, and I bought it and gave it to Ada for Christmas, okay? So Ada's been practicing, you know, learning how to do the ventriloquist thing. She has to be careful, though, because our other granddaughter, Adler, is freaked out when she hears that dummy talking, okay? <laughs> so it's... Appearances can be challenging, all right? But think about what a ventriloquist does. He or she plays on appearances. Isn't it funny? The microphone is always with the ventriloquist and never with the dummy, right? It kind of messes up the illusion, right? But for some reason, when you're watching it, you can't help yourself. You, you, you look back and forth at them as if it's really happening. There's just something about it. It's like magicians. I, I like magicians. Well, guess what they play on? They play on appearances because appearances can produce soil that's ripe for deception, okay? So if you're going to base your whole life on appearances and on feelings, well, just know that soil is ripe for deception. Let, let, let me just give you a couple examples. We just flew back from Rome, okay? We spent a couple weeks in Rome. Get on the airplane in Rome and come home. 5,000 miles to Atlanta from Rome. You're not from Alabama. You have to go to Atlanta, to, before you go to heaven. So we fly into Atlanta. So here's how it felt. You're on a plane. Here's what it does. It goes down the runway and does what? It does this. You can feel it. You're in the plane. You, you can tell we're doing this. But then what's going to happen eventually? You do this. And then the pilot will come on and say, we have reached our cruising altitude. And here's how it feels. For the next 5,000 miles, you're just doing this. Isn't that true? That's how it feels. Matter of fact, if you're standing on earth and you look up and you see that plane, that's how it looks. It just appears that way. That's not really what's happening. You know why? The earth is a sphere. Okay? And so what's really happening is that plane is actually matching the circular path of the earth. True? We got a couple pilots in here. Pilots, am I telling the truth? Am I not telling? Because here's what would happen. Think about the curvature of the earth. If you just keep doing this, you're going to fly off into the stratosphere. That's not going to, even that's what it feels like you're doing. Because on the plane, you don't feel like you're doing this, but that's really what you're doing. Because see, here's what truth does. Truth backs you up, helps you to see the context of reality, and then you go, oh, okay. Yeah, you're right, I see. That, that makes sense. Even though it feels like something else. It appears to be something else. What's really true is what I just described. Just imagine. Let's say that you went to work at a bird sanctuary. And you just fell in love with birds. And you just, you just started studying birds. And I love them. And you, you learn how they fly and take off and land and soar and all that. And you just say, man, that is, I just love it. I feel like I understand it. So then you decide, all right, I want to feel that myself. So I'm going to go skydiving. So you sign up and you go skydiving. You say, I'm going to do this by myself. 
get on a plane, put the parachute on, and it comes time for you to jump, you jump out, and as you're falling, you think to yourself, you know, I, I think I'm going to wing it. I've been studying. I know how they do it. I think I'm going to wing it. And you ditch the parachute. Guess what's going to happen? You're going to die. <clears throat> Guess what you're not? A bird. Right? In other words, we all depend on real truth. Let, let me state it a little more plainly, if I may. Let's say when you're born in this world, a male, and every single cell in your body is chromosomally programmed to be a male, then guess what you are not? A female. You're a male. Now, if you end up with certain types of diseases, there are certain drugs that target chromosomes differently, and you have to say, regardless, excuse me, of how you might present yourself, which some people change, you know that, but there are certain times a physician has to know, let's see what your chromosome makeup is because that's the real truth. Are y'all with me? Real truth sometimes can be hard and controversial. I get it. But I'm telling you, we depend on it every single day. All of us do. Whether I believe in it or not, it's actually true. Now, Here's the challenge. How do I share what I believe about truth in a way that articulates it and makes it compelling and appealing and also does not inhibit someone else from sharing what they believe to be true? That's the challenge we all face, and that's what I want to invite us into. Because what I just said, y'all just heard me say the last one, I'm not talking about the airplane or the bird. Everybody in America go, that's right, absolutely. But what about that last one? Mm, wait a minute. Somebody else may view things differently. I understand that. And I am not trying to inhibit what anybody else may believe. But don't I have the right also in a gracious way to share what I believe to be true? So with that said, here's what I want to share with you all this morning. You need to know what your pastor believes about this. Because this right here is crucial. Here is the truth. Jesus Christ is the way the truth, and the life, and no one can come to God unless you come through him. I believe that with every fiber in my being. Period. Exclamation point. And the reason I believe that is because I believe Jesus Christ is a truth teller. And I'm completely committed to obeying him and following him. So if Jesus Christ says it, as I have read it in his word, I believe it to be true. Now, do I always live up to everything that Jesus said? Of course, I'm your pastor. You know that I do. <laughs> Ask Cindy. No, of course I don't. But does that negate the truth of it? Well, no. I'm a sinner. But I believe what Jesus has taught us. And so... I want you to just, if you got your Bibles open, look back with me at chapter 14. Let's look back at verse 1. Look at what Jesus says. Now, remember where we are. It's John 14. It's Thursday night. Jesus is going to die the next day. Now, these disciples don't necessarily know that. 
But I want you to know the air is thick. Messianic fervor is at a fever pitch. These disciples have a sense something is about to happen. They're burdened. So look at what Jesus says. Look at chapter 40, look at verse 1. He says, don't, don't be so anxious. Okay, don't, don't be so troubled. Then look at what he says next. You believe in God. Now, take that same belief and posit it in me. Now, y'all, who talks like that? Take the same belief you have in God. Now, believe that same way in me. You know who talks like that? Jesus. You know what Jesus is claiming? To be God in the flesh. This is a claim of divinity, clearly. Jesus is going to go on and say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. So he is saying, take that faith you have in God. Now you can trust me, put your faith in me. Now, then he gives them an eternal perspective. He says, here's what I'm about to do. I'm going to go into eternity, and I'm going to pave a path for you. As a matter of fact, I'm going to my father's house. Now, this imagery was woven into the fabric of their culture. It's a little foreign to us. He says, in my father's house, there, there are many rooms. Some translations say mansions. That's okay to say it that way. The word means rooms, but here's what would happen. In that culture, when a Jewish family, when the, the dad built a place sometimes. They would buy a new place, build it. The son then would add on to it and move his family in, add more rooms. The other son would go in and he would build on it and add more rooms. And eventually you had what they called an insula. And it was somewhat of a mansion. It was a multi-roomed dwelling with a garden and a place for an entire family. Jesus is using that imagery. I'm going to my father's house just like some of you, but I'm going to prepare a room for you in glory. He says, so that where I am, you will be with me, and you know the way. And then Thomas says, do, do y'all know? We don't, we don't know. Well, what's the way? And I love what Jesus says. Here's the sixth I am in John. Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I'm the life. And no one can experience all of that unless you go through me. No one. No one can come into glory. No one to come, can come into my Father's presence. No one can receive this gift of life unless you come through me. That's an exclusive claim made by Jesus himself. And I'm here to let y'all know this. Most of y'all already know this, but in case you don't, I believe that with every fiber in my being, it rules out all other paths to God. Jesus is the only one by his own authority. N.T. Wright, when he reads this, here's what he says about it. He says, either, either God chose Abraham and his family, Israel, to steward the promises and the plan of God and Jesus Christ is Israel's Messiah and consequently the Savior of the world or not. Those are the only two options. Either God has chosen Abraham's family, Israel, through whom to shepherd his promises and his plan, and Jesus is Israel's Messiah and consequently the Savior of the world or not. Those are the only two options. I happen to believe that what 
N.T. Wright says about it is true. I believe God did single out Abraham. His family shepherded the things of God, the plan of God. I believe Jesus Christ is the Messiah for Israel. I believe he is the Savior of all mankind, and I believe he's the only way to heaven. I want you to know it was controversial then. You do remember they killed Jesus, remember? They killed Jesus. Now, our sin theologically put Jesus on the cross, but they were threatened by these kinds of messages. <laughs> Jesus talked about a new kingdom. He talked about this exclusive claim. It was controversial then. It's controversial now. I can promise you it is. Did y'all watch the Super Bowl? Once again without the Cowboys? I mean, seriously. <laughs> seriously. But did you? I did. Well, we got home from Rome that day. Flew in about 1.30 Sunday morning. I preached that morning. And I sat down to watch Super Bowl about the early second quarter. Um, I woke up and there were two minutes to go in the game. I think it was a really good game, the best I could tell, okay? I missed Rihanna, I missed all the halftime, whatever. But I recorded it and I went back and watched two commercials. You know what they were? He gets us. Those two commercials about Jesus. Did y'all see them? Okay, maybe you've gone to the website. I would encourage you to go if you haven't. He gets us. And... Um, Come to find out, there's a group of evangelical Christians that are trying to communicate a message about Jesus to our culture. And this is what they've chosen. He gets us. Well, guess what? He does get us because he was one of us. But oh my goodness, those two little commercials, controversial. Um, BBC headline said this. This he gets us commercial angers both left and right. Insider said this, he gets us. They just made everyone angry. People chimed in, targeting the people underneath these commercials. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, she's a congresswoman from New York. Did you read her tweet? She said this, something tells me Jesus would not spend millions of dollars on Super Bowl ads to make fascism look benign. End quote. To make fascism, you know, that's Mussolini slash connected to Hitler, look benign. That was her take on he gets it. Seriously? Fascism? <laughs> well, you know what it is? It's what I just described. It's the inability to have discourse with people with whom you disagree. And so according to her and others, they said, well, this thing's being financed by some billionaires and they are anti-LGBTQ, anti-abortion. So consequently, whole thing should have never happened. They shouldn't even be spending their money that way. That's what I read. Have y'all ever met a billionaire? I mean, like a real life billionaire? I have. A couple of them. I got one's a friend. You know what they've never done? The, the couple of billionaires I've met, one that I know pretty well. They've never called me to ask me for financial advice. It's funny. They, they just never have. <laughs> They've never called me and said, hey, Dennis, what do you think? Buy or sell? I mean, that's just never happened. Here's what I've learned about billionaires. You don't tell them how to spend their money. They don't care. It kind of reminds me of Tim McCarver. He's one of my favorite baseball players, even though he played for the wrong team in the wrong league. He's a great catcher. Called for the St. Louis Cardinals. And uh, he, Bob Gibson. I, for me, Nolan Ryan, Bob Gibson, the two greatest pitchers that ever lived. And... Um, 
Tim McCarver caught from Bob Gibson. He said one time about Bob Gibson, he said, he's the luckiest pitcher on earth. No wonder he wins all his games. It's easy to win games when the other team never scores. Well, <laughs> there's a reason for that. But Tim McCarver was catching Gibson one day, and he called a timeout and ran up the pitcher's mound until Gibson said, Gibson said, before you say anything, turn around and go back to home plate and get back where you belong. The only thing you know about good pitching is that you can't hit it. So go back to where you came from. Well, that's how I feel about billionaires. They probably ain't asking you how they want to spend their money. And so it is what it is. There's a group of them that want to spend their money doing this. Okay? Ed Stetzer, several others who are advising these folks, here's what they're doing. They're sharing a message with this culture about Jesus. And if you continue to read it, here's what will happen to you. You'll notice the exclusive claims of Jesus. He's the only way to heaven. I get it. It's controversial. It always has been. That doesn't make it less true. And it requires me to continue to find a way to articulate it in a way that's compelling and appealing in this culture. Because it's what I believe. And I don't have to malign anybody as I share that belief. I don't have to inhibit anybody from sharing their belief just because I share that one. And it doesn't make me a bigot. It doesn't make me anti-anything. It makes me pro-Jesus because that's what I am. Now, with that said, here's what I would tell you about Jesus and truth. When I read the New Testament, I've been following Jesus a long time. Here's what I believe about Jesus and truth. Jesus is the embodiment and the personification of truth. His followers are guided by his spirit into truth. That's what the Bible teaches. Jesus told the woman at the well, John 4, he says, the day is coming when the seekers must worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Jesus says, John 14, John 15, John 16, I'm going to send you the advocate. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. He will guide you into all truth. What did Jesus say about the devil? He said, the devil in John 8 is the father of lies, deception. You see, the devil trades on appearances and feelings, not in truth. Very first question of the Bible, what happens in Genesis 3? What does the devil say? Through the mouth of the serpent. Did, did God say? Did God actually say that? Is that really? Are you sure? He slides you away from truth into that arena of appearances and feelings. And we're so susceptible to it because appearances seem real. Feelings are real. And yet what has to happen is I have got to learn the discipline of allowing truth to lift me a little bit to where I can appropriately contextualize appearances and my own feelings. I can't let my feelings and appearances elevate me so then I can make a judgment about truth. That just will not work. Pretend you have to have surgery and you're sitting with the surgeon and you say to him, I'm pretty pain tolerant. So I just don't think I'm going to need any of that anesthesia stuff. I mean, I'm serious. Look, that doesn't even hurt. <laughs> guess what you're going to be confronted with? A scalpel. And guess what a scalpel does? It hurts. That's truth. You may feel that you can handle it. You may have the appearance of being tough. But at some point, our experiences and our appearances have to be judged by truth. 
And so somehow I've got to let the truth of all of this guide me. And I can't allow my appearance, the appearances I have, my feelings, to guide me. I've got to let truth guide me. As a matter of fact, here's what Jesus said in John 8. You shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. That's what truth does. It doesn't imprison us. It frees us. It releases us to reality. And here's what I believe, y'all. 2023, I'm convinced of this. I believe that my world is hungry for truth. I do. I think people are longing for truth. Wednesday, February 8th, in Wilmore, Kentucky, Asbury University. Y'all read about it? Group of college kids. Got a bunch of college kids sitting around. I'm not, not kids. I'm sorry, y'all. Students. Young adults. They're in worship. They have worship every Wednesday at, um, uh, there at Asbury University. I, I read an interview. I actually watched an interview with the president of the student body. She said, we came in. We worshiped like we always do. The gospel choir I love that. That's what they call their contemporary worship team, the gospel choir. They sang a couple songs. We had a man who delivered a message. At the end of his message, he gave an appeal for repentance, confession, response. Here's what she said. She said, then the gospel choir got up to sing. She said, when the gospel choir sings the last song, that's the student's um, message. It's time to go to class. So they all disperse while that last song's being sung. So she said, the gospel choir got up to sing. Everybody left to go to class. She said, but I, for some reason, I didn't, I didn't leave. She said, in fact, there are about 20 of us. We just, we just didn't leave. She said, then the gospel choir did something they never do. They sang another song. She said, and then they sang another song. And we just stayed. She said, we're here in a little while. People were walking by the chapel, and some of them started coming in. Well, some of the gospel choir people had to go to class, so... But they have other gospel choir people. So some of them came in, some of them left. She said later on in the day, the crowd grew. By that evening, 1,500 students. And they wouldn't leave. And they prayed. And they sang. No glitz, no superstars, no mega church preachers. In fact, the people leading this, you ain't ever heard any of them. This humble college students. And their leadership on that student team. Well, guess what, y'all? What's today? February, what is today? They're still there. Go back to February 8th. They're still there. However, they're not just there. They had to open up the small chapel at the university. Has this been filled up? Then, then the seminaries across the street. Well, they had to open up their chapel and it's full. Well, then they have a little side chapel, the seminary, where they open that one up. Well, now it's, it's full. Then a little church down the street, they opened up their sanctuary and they live streamed. Well, it's full. Then they put screens up out in the yard. The yard's now full. And the people won't leave. And they just are coming from all over the world. What is happening? And guess what? Now at Lee University, Samford University in Birmingham, Belmont University in Nashville, Guess what? They're kids right now in those chapels and they won't leave. And they're worshiping and they're praying. You know what they're hungry for? 
truth. And you know what, y'all? They're young enough, they actually think God might intervene in their generation and bring a revival. See, they don't know any better. They don't know any better. It's awesome. And you know what we're doing? Some people are standing and criticizing. Some people criticize anything. I couldn't care less about those people. The rest of us, praying, Lord, bring it here. Lord, make it happen. Because you see, when I went to Southwestern Seminary, there was a revival at Asbury Seminary in 1970, right across the street from Asbury University. And that revival at Asbury Seminary spread across America, and it affected campuses like Southwestern. And when I arrived there 11 years later, it was still felt on that campus. That's the lasting effect of a true work of God. I'm praying that the fruit of this work of God will be multiplied across the world. He'll bring an awakening and a revival that none of us could have ever predicted, and yet we can all experience it and stand and watch what only God can do. Hallelujah. People are hungry. And you know what? They're just flocking to it because they're hungry for truth. That's true everywhere. Let's you and I be harbingers of truth because I believe truth is what really sets you free. Hallelujah. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for the gospel. And it's true. It's real. We know that you change lives. Your power, transformative power, brings us into a right relationship with you, convicts us of our sin, calls us to righteousness and holiness and guides us into truth. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, for that. And I just pray that that, that presence of your spirit, powerful as we're seeing it on this tiny little school's campus in Wilmore, Kentucky, and it's spreading, and it just has the sense that this is your hand at work. Thank you, Lord. May you bring that in our lives and may we sense your present in profound and new ways and may it bring about the fruit of righteousness in our lives. So we just say, come Holy Spirit, work among us and use us to bring truth into a world that's desperate to hear it. May it be so in Jesus' name, amen.